hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you. Happy Easter, all right? Yeah? Happy Easter. My name's Jonah. Uh, I'm one of the, the pastors here, and I'm a little hyped up this morning. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Uh, so let's try, let's try this one more time, just because it's fun for me. Uh, he's risen. He's risen Amen. All right. Now, let's have a moment of honesty. I'm going to try to do a couple of crowd participation because we have a big crowd today. Shout out to the overflow room. You all or something else. Thanks. Uh, so I'm trying to get some crowd participation going here this morning. Uh, this went really poorly in the first service. So if this goes poorly, we're all safe. Okay. Uh, I want you to just say Yes, if it's a little awkward to shout, he is risen like that. Okay, you guys were a little more honest than the first service. It was silent. And I was like, y'all gonna lie on Easter? Really on Easter? Uh, and so here's what's, what's kind of funny to me. Uh, Christians have been shouting this for years and years and years. I mean, thousands and thousands of years. And there's something about it that, um, you know, we're gonna try to shout it and repeat it throughout the day. But it, sometimes this isn't so easy for us to shout it. Or maybe it feels a little bit forced. And in church, uh, we have a way of making, uh, you know, you church it up. You make it sound better or different than what it actually is. And so people will say things like, you know, I'm fine being like loud and expressive as long as people don't notice me being loud and expressive. Or like, I, you know, I want to worship. But uh, here's the really churchy thing people will say. Like, it's just between me and God. And I'm just like worshiping in my spirit. And I don't want to be a distraction. And I'm like, okay, maybe. Uh, but then there's all kinds of other things that we seem to have no problem shouting and like really, really meaning it. 
Uh, like, it's a girl, right? You come running out of the uh, delivery room and, and you're pumped or I don't know what you're into, but you, you call a friend and you're like, it's on sale. Like the sale is today. Uh, or you fellas were, I don't know, a couple months away before we get to shout touchdown again, right? Like, it's funny to me how I can see, and I'm not dogging on anybody, right? Like, I'm, I'm here too. Like, we can sing like, like, oh God, and it's kind of awkward and we mumble through with our hands in our pockets, but then I see you at your favorite concert or watching the Indianapolis Colts or watching the March Madness tournament or whatever, and, and there's this disconnect, right? Like, most of us know how to be excited. Most of us know how to be expressive, uh, but when it comes to settings like this or the truths of the Christian faith, uh, it, it can feel forced. And I, I think part of that is it's not just it's forced, but it's drowned out. Uh, so here's what I mean. Say yes if you've been anxious this week. Yes. Like, you don't have to say this one because I don't want you to be uncomfortable because you have family with you. But like, think yes if you're anxious right now. You know, like, you won't, oh man, some people couldn't hold it in. <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, we carry these deep worries and we live in an absolutely maddening time right now. Uh, statistically, uh, if you're an American, which I'm guessing most of you are, you are the safest that you have ever been in the history of humanity. Like you are in the safest country that's ever been. You are in the most prosperous, abundant country that has ever been. And yet statistically, we are more anxious and depressed than ever. And there's good reason to be anxious. Anybody, this is for the 50 and up crowd. Like anybody see the absolute plummet the Dow took last week and you're all worried about your 401k? 700 points in one day, when will it stop? We live in a, a culture, a society right now where we're actually worried about sending our children to school. You know, some of you are gonna go to brunch after this, the one day of the year where we're like, brunch, you know, I don't, brunch, okay? Uh, we're gonna go to brunch and we're supposed to be with our family. And for some of you, it'll be a painful um, realization or reminder of what members of your family aren't there anymore who could be there but chose not to be there. You know, maybe you're worried like, dad's gonna die before we make it right. Maybe you're worried that she's gonna leave you. Maybe you're worried that he'll never change. Maybe you're worried that your kids will have the same problems that you do. On and on and on, we, we could go. So much of our modern life is filled with anxiety. And I've just been wondering, what if this ancient confession that he is risen wasn't, wasn't just the answer? You ever, have you ever noticed how answers don't really have the power to transform? Um, there's been a lot of cancer in my family. And someone saying, hey, it's cancer. It's like, I have the answer to what's going on right now. That doesn't make the cancer better. They could say, hey, chemotherapy and radiation and surgery will help that. And that may be an answer but if you only have the information, it doesn't do anything to the condition. What if this confession, he is risen, isn't just the answer, but the actual antidote? It wasn't just information, but it was actually a cure. So last round of crowd participation, I think, like, say yes if you want some good news this morning. Yes, right? Like, we come in anxious. We come in exhausted. We come in hoping for something more. Maybe, like, you could actually be different 
What if you could actually change? This, some theologians will call Romans 8 the most glorious chapter in the whole Bible because it just puts it all together and it's, it's right in our face. And what it's showing us is that Easter is the antidote to our anxieties, our past anxieties, our future anxieties, our present anxieties. And so in glorious detail, it, it shows us what the resurrection of Jesus means for us. And every one of us this morning are gonna be invited into a life of peace and power. There's three earth-shaking promises before us. And, and in some ways, like, I just hope to open your eyes to, to encourage you of what's true of you in Christ again. There won't be anything new or earth-shaking this morning, but there's the invitation to what if we believed it? What if this soaked deeply into our bones? And so here's the first promise. This, and it just, it's just beautiful. It's right in the text. We could just read it again and everybody go to brunch, I guess. But you pay me to talk, so here we go. Um, the first promise, uh, and I'm, I'm just pleading with you, you guys, if we believed, if you even believed one of these a little bit more today, it'll change your life, let alone all three. If you're wondering, like, how did a bunch of no-name, uneducated, backwater people go to change the world? A bunch of uneducated, fishing, Middle Easterners changed the world. It's because they believed these things to the soles of their feet. Promise number one, God gives everything to take care of us. God will give everything to take care of you. He will withhold nothing in taking care of you. So the first two-thirds of Romans 8 are all about uh, the life in the Holy Spirit. And so on Good Friday, the last words from the cross, we, we reflected on Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gives his spirit up to the Father, knowing that he would rise in a few days, and that same spirit would go out to all of us. And, and Romans 8, 17 times in the first two-thirds, it's talking about the promise of that spirit. When that spirit comes upon us, what will happen? And now he starts getting real practical. He starts showing us what that means. So in verse 31, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a powerful question. Uh, the, Martin Luther, he was this German monk you may have heard of before. He said the incarnation shows that God is not against us. So that's, you know, God coming in a baby, putting on human clothes, living among us, shows us God isn't against us. And that's a big deal. Uh, but there's all kinds of things I'm not against. Like, I'm not against mayonnaise. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have this campaign to try to shoot down mayonnaise or get mayonnaise off the market. Uh, I'm not against St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I'm just kind of indifferent towards it. You know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of things that we're not against. I'm not against the Indianapolis Colts, but I am for the Cincinnati Bengals. And the way I want, and I know that's hard to believe, right? Like, I know, it's a struggle. But that makes all the difference in the world. To say I'm not against something is not at all the same as saying I am for something. If the incarnation shows us God is not against us, the resurrection shows us that God is for us. And it's, it's this tension of, uh, anyone, anyone feel that disconnect between like you confess God loves you, but you're not sure he likes you? You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, he's, he's got to love me because he's God and God is love, but like he's not really excited about me. This what Paul is starting off in this section is saying, hey, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. It's not that he's just not against you, he's for you. He wants good things for you. And if God is for you, if God wants good things for you, who or what can stop you? 
And it's implicit and explicit. He's saying nothing can. And now he starts getting a little bit practical. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And and here's the lie some of us believe. This promise has the power to absolutely transform all of those future anxieties that you bring with us, with you this morning. Uh, Some of us think that God is willing to give us his most precious, beloved possession, his own son. God will give you the thing that matters more to him than anything else. And then suddenly he gets really stingy. Yeah, I know God will give me his son, but he doesn't really care about my anxiety. Or even more simply, uh, this is real petty, and I'm sure somebody can, whatever, theologize what the problem with this is. But you ever, like today, parking lot's full and you pull in and you just, for me, I have this breath prayer where I say, Lord, give me a parking spot. And it's amazing how often a great parking spot comes up. And, and then I just say, God loves taking care of his children. Like, we think that we have this God who will give us the most abundant gift in the universe and then get real stingy with everything else in our lives. Uh, there's deep mystery here, okay? I'm not exactly sure what this means. Uh, a couple weeks ago, one real famous pastor said, if you need a car, just reach out by faith and take it. And I was like, that's Grand Theft Auto, man. <laughs> you know, like, you can't just go take a car. Uh, but here's what, here's what I know, okay? This text is saying God won't withhold anything in taking care of you. And I have never seen a Christian in long-term need, Period. I've never seen God leave one of his children in need over the long haul. And and even in moments where, you know, you feel need or you feel lack, God is still showing up. We'll get to that here in a second. He's still present in that. So I don't know how God will answer your need, but I know he will. Take just a second and think, like, what are you worried about this morning? What's out there that's going to come for you? That's a couple of weeks away. That's maybe it's this week. You got... 14 days to pay your taxes, and maybe you don't have any, like, what is it that you're worried about that's out there and it's coming for you? The promise of the resurrection is that God is so abundantly for you. Everything you need in the future, God has it all for you, and he delights in taking care of his children. And so when you, when you live in resurrection power, You walk knowing that your future is safe. What would change? What would change if you walked into your future, walked into what's coming this week, knowing that God will withhold nothing in taking care of you? Second promise, God won't let anything condemn you. So maybe the anxiety you bring this morning, everybody's a little bit different, right? And and maybe the anxiety you bring this morning isn't so much about what's in the future, but it's about what's behind you. And now you're maybe, you know, you're in church for the first time in a long time this morning. And you're like, man, what if I run into somebody who knows what I did a couple of years ago? Uh, What if I've made too many mistakes in the past? I mean, we hear it here all the time. Like people will come in and they'll just say, I'm just trying to get right with God. Like I'm just trying to make up for all of these things that I've been doing. What if your past catches up with you? What if we find out who you really are? Here's what Paul says to that, verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life 
for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You hear how often he's saying for us, for us, for us. Like God is for us. And what he's showing us here is that nothing can condemn us. So let's think about this first question that Paul asks for a second. Who dares accuse us? That's an easy question for me. The answer is basically everyone, right? Like somebody, people, God help you if you're on social media, like, and you say the wrong thing or you put it wrong. Like we love reveling in the failures of other people. People love watching somebody fall. People love watching somebody do dumb, especially in public. And, And maybe you don't have a problem with other people then you probably have a problem with yourself, right? Like anybody running charges against themselves in their heads all the time, and you just have this inner critic, this this tape that's telling you of all of your problems and all of your failures, who will bring charges? It seems like at some point nearly everyone will. And too often we let those charges dominate the way we see ourselves and the way we enter into the world, And, and we're just looking at it all wrong. So first, the gospel, and this text says that it's God who justifies. And what that means is God is the one who gets to declare guilty or not guilty. God is the one who gets to say righteous or unrighteous. Not other people, okay? That's a huge difference. It's not other people's opinions that get to shape your standing before God and the worth of your own soul. And what what God is saying is that, listen, Jesus died for us. Jesus was raised for us, and Jesus sits at the right hand of God for us, and he is now presently pleading for us. So if you're worried that God is angry with you, you need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, I've paid it all. He's clothed in my righteousness. She's clean and forgiven and safe. But there's so much more going on than, than just that, because that's, that's done. Like God doesn't need to be reminded that you're in Christ, okay? One time, once for all, Jesus has played pleaded, pled his case, and we're clean, okay? But it says this is an ongoing thing that he's doing for us, his work of intercession. Uh, and, And here's what that means. It means that Jesus is actively praying for you. When you hear those charges come, when you think of those past mistakes, what would happen if you could slow down and hear the voice of Jesus saying, God, help her remember she is safe and loved? What would happen if you know that, I know, I don't know, God knows that thing that you keep doing, that you come in here hoping no one finds out that you keep doing, you know what I mean? And what, which one am I talking about? I'm talking about the one that you know is wrong before you do it. You know it's wrong right when you're doing it, and then you feel awful after you've been doing it. You know what I'm saying? You all know what that thing is in your life. What if on the cusp of that thing, whatever that is, you heard the voice of Jesus saying, Lord, lead him out of temptation. Help him know how loved he is. Help him see the lie that's here. Give him strength to believe what's true. Can you imagine what would happen if we believed this text? If we believed Jesus was right in the room next to us, praying for us. The resurrection confirms charges will come from all kinds of places, but nothing has the power to condemn you. Uh, To put it real simply, If you're in Christ, you're never in trouble again. And if that makes you uncomfortable, you're starting to get close to what the gospel is trying to say to you. God will never be mad at you again if you're in Christ. No one can look at you and say guilty, unrighteous ever again. And what's more, can you imagine the relief that you would feel if you no longer had to hide your past? 
You don't, you don't need to amen this, but maybe you should. Like, have you ever thought about how much energy you spend trying to look different or come across different than what you know you are? You ever think about how tired you are from trying to hide and cover? Isn't that what sin does? It makes us try to hide who we really are, pull back, isolate ourselves. Could you imagine the relief you would experience if you didn't need to hide anymore? Could you imagine if your past stopped being evidence of your shame and your guilt and instead became evidence of the grace of God in your life? Because here's what Easter can do. Here's the power of the resurrection. You can say, you want to know what Christianity is? Well, here's me. Here's my story. Here's all this stuff I've done. I know what you think you did was dumb, but if you want to see an idiot, let me tell you about this. And you're like, well, maybe you're still an idiot now. And you're like, yeah, but I'm less of an idiot than I was four or five years ago. The, the very things that we want to hide, we start showing because this is why God has saved us. This is what God has redeemed from us. And if you're, not, if you're safe, if you can't be condemned anymore, you don't have to hide those things. And you can show them and completely flip them up on their head. The resurrection turns your most shameful, sinful experiences into evidence of God's power. If no one can condemn you, and if, if Jesus has really paid it all for you, listen, you are more free than you could possibly imagine. God won't hold back anything in taking care of you, which means your future is secure. God won't let anything condemn you, which means your past is redeemed. And finally, God will never let us go. Paul puts it all together, and this is amazing. Uh, This is our present power. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? I'm gonna stop there for a second. Anyone ever have that feeling? Life gets hard, you have loss, tragedy, disappointment, and the immediate conclusion is God doesn't love me anymore. Or I've done something wrong, or I've blown it, or I've screwed it up. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And maybe some of you nitpicks are trying to find the thing he didn't mention there, right? Like maybe there is something that can separate us from the love of God. Maybe he he skipped something. Well, here he goes now. He says, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. He's He's getting real ramped up here and he's almost at a loss for words. He's just getting so excited. He says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And to really hammer it home, no power in the sky above or in the earth below, nothing in all of creation. That's everything, right? He knows you're looking for an out. And he says, nope, nothing, nothing you can imagine can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, that's worth being a little bit excited about. And and think about this now. The resurrection confirms that in all places, in all situations, the love of God is with you. All of these things that I imagine some of you, whatever that anxiety is you're bringing in this morning, somewhere in your mind, you've made the conclusion, God is mad at me. God's disappointed in me. God's upset with me. You know, these aren't arbitrary thoughts from Paul. You know, when he says things like whether, you know, people try to kill us, why is Paul saying that? Because people tried to kill him. He's lived all of this in in the book of Acts. He's saying, no, 
nothing can, can separate you from the love of God, even when you're in your darkest moment, even when it feels like you're drowning. And did you, this is amazing. You know, it says overwhelming victory is ours. Some translations will say we are more than conquerors. The most literal translation of the words there are you are a super conqueror. And that's not a phrase we hear a lot, right? Hey, look at that super conqueror. Um, so to conquer something means you win a battle, right? Or you, you win a war, something like that. And there's a part of that that that's what's going on here, right? Like we've, in Christ, we overcome sin and death. Uh, but the promise of the resurrection isn't, isn't just victory over sin or something like that. Uh, the resurrection power that's ours in Christ means we do more than conquer, which is to say that through the resurrection, even life's worst circumstances are working for your good. Being a super conqueror, having overwhelming victory doesn't just mean you win. It it means the instruments designed for your destruction are turned upside down and instead bring you life. And if you want to know what that looks like, imagine a horrific execution. Maybe hypothetically, like death on a cross, hanging naked in front of all these people who thought you were a king. And instead of it being a source of shame, it being turned into the greatest symbol of victory, freedom, and life the world has ever known. That's what God does. That is what the power of the resurrection does. If nothing separates you from the love of God, it means he's present in every situation life brings. And to be a super conqueror means that in all circumstances, in every situation, somehow this is working for your good. Think about that. This is your strength, Christian. Because Jesus raised from the dead, whatever you're facing, by faith you can look at that and say, this is awful, amen. Listen, if you're visiting our church today and you wanna go to another church, like that's fine. I would just say, beware of any church that says Christianity offers you an easy life. If you read the Bible, it is much the opposite. Jesus says, if you follow me, people will hate you. You will be persecuted and life will be hard. And the resurrection does not deny that your life will be hard. Your life will be very difficult, at least for a few long stretches of time. Christianity doesn't say you will have an easy life, nor does it say, hey, here's some helpful tools to help you get through it, right? To just get through this season. It says so much more than that. It says when trial comes, when suffering comes, when loss comes, when charges come, when tragedy comes, in all of this, God is working it for your good. And thanks be to God, you don't have to know what that means or figure that out because your Father in heaven has it figured out for you. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that the love of God is present in all of life and that the power of God will make even the ugliest, most broken situations beautiful. So think about what the resurrection offers us for a moment. Security to walk into the future with all of its unknowns. Confidence to share our past and see our our brokenness and our mistakes redeemed. And a present confidence that whatever we're in right now, the love of God is with us. Your past is secure. Your future is secure. Your past is redeemed. And today you are brimming over with power. If you are here and you are a Christian, you have more power than you could possibly believe because he's risen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and said, this is my body 
broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he says, this is what seals your relationship with God. It's my blood shed for you. And so, like, I'm not gonna make you say yes again, but listen, to all you anxious Christians, all you people who came in here worried this morning, maybe this is all you need to hear. Like, what, what would it mean if your relationship with God really was only dependent on the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you? What if it's that true? What if God's grace is that big? What might change for you? Uh, our invitation is to come, receive this, and believe it again. Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread and dip it in wine or juice. There'll be a piece of twine wrapped around uh, the wine, and we'll have stations up front, in the back, and a gluten-free station to my left, your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christian, let's come and remember our power. Let's pray.